Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, changes for New York City and New Jersey school kids. It is our job to keep every student, teacher, administrator, and staff member safe. As we have seen tragically across the country, the threats to our schools is very real. An effort for more transparency for law enforcement in New Jersey. We do have a bill in the legislature that has been languishing, which would make disciplinary records accessible to the public. WBGO's John Kalish reports on the resurgence of community bands. When I first joined the band, I noticed a genuine love for each other. They just like to hang out with each other. And I'll chat with two-time American Ultimate Disc League MVP Ben Yacht about the New York Empire's recent championship. It was really fun being able to win our second championship in three years. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. New York City schools are back in session now, but with several changes. WBGO Scott Pringle explains. After welcoming students in the Bronx, school's chancellor David Banks vowed to get more students proficient in reading. You're going to see a dramatic change over the next several years in reading scores and our approach to the teaching of reading. Mayor Eric Adams was asked if he would reinstate money cut from the school budget per request from the city council. We are going to make sure that every child in every school receives the resources that they need. NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell says there are now more school safety agents and every exterior school door except for the front one will remain locked and have an alarm. It is our job to keep every student, teacher, administrator, and staff member safe. As we have seen tragically across the country, the threats to our schools is very real. For the first time, all students will be examined for being at risk of dyslexia. Masks and daily COVID-related health screenings are no longer required. Scott Pringle, WBGO News. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has signed two laws he says will combat food insecurity in the Garden State. We get the story from WBGO's Tennyson Donier. The new program will require schools in New Jersey to provide free breakfasts and lunches to students from working class and middle income families. And the state must develop a public campaign to raise awareness. According to the Community Food Bank of New Jersey, about 180,000 children are food insecure. Murphy says many families have struggled to afford healthy meals since the pandemic began more than two years ago. Expanding the right to a free school lunch isn't just the right thing to do educationally, it is the right thing morally. Of the many lessons we have learned over the course of the COVID pandemic, it is that access to healthy meals can become a fragile thing, particularly, and we live this overnight. Previously, free school lunches were only available to students from low-income families mirroring federal law. Tennyson Donye, WBGO News. Policy analysts are praising New Jersey's latest effort to bring transparency to law enforcement. The Attorney General's office has launched a new dashboard that allows people to review internal investigations at law enforcement agencies across the state. Analysts hope the officials do more than just show the information. The new dashboard is being praised as a great first step toward greater transparency, allowing people to more easily view information in one easy-to-navigate place. But Dr. Jason Williams, a justice studies professor at Montclair State University, says accountability must follow. It's not enough to just have this database up where we're censoring and this information, you know, I, uh, these IA investigations. We have to continue to watch and make sure that 
we gain some type of product, some type of movement from this. Williams hopes that in the future, more detailed information can be added, like excerpts from interviews and video, to help provide more context behind the data. I think most people probably can understand that to some degree, but then you may have some who are more sort of, you know, these sort of audio-visual variety of people. He adds that doing nothing with the information that is now widely available would be called symbolic transparency. Marlena Eubel with the New Jersey Policy Perspective says the new database gives people the power to hold problematic law enforcement officers accountable. And she adds that the state legislature should follow the attorney general's lead. We do have a bill in the legislature that has been languishing, which would make disciplinary records accessible to the public. It wouldn't require a database or anything like that. It would just make them accessible to the public through public records requests. The bill Eubel was referring to was reintroduced in the state legislature in January after first being proposed in June of 2020. It would also require that disciplinary records be maintained for at least 20 years. She says the new database also adds another layer of professionalism to law enforcement in the state after a bill requiring police officers to have licenses and the release of use of force information. A new kind of treatment for the most common type of leukemia is in critical trials in our area. WBGO's Janice Kirkell has more. It's at Hackensack University Medical Center, a new type of stem cell transplant utilizing genetic engineering to protect a patient's healthy cells from the toxic side effects of targeted cancer treatments, so only cancer cells are destroyed. It's the work of VorBio. Here is CEO Dr. Robert Ang. This being a totally novel approach is particularly suitable for patients who have AML but are at high risk of relapse following a stem cell transplant. What's also interesting about this trial is we're offering an anti-cancer therapy very soon after their transplant. Normally, you would never treat the cancer in that period because if you damage the new transplant, you could kill the patient. Ang says he hopes this will revolutionize the standard of care for acute myeloid leukemia. What we're hoping to do is make stem cell transplants that are treatment resistant and so that you can treat the cancer and, and maybe prevent its return, maybe even aim for cures. Uh, in patients who are undergoing regular stem cell transplants. Janice Kirkell, WBGO News. Community bands date back to the American Revolution. There are more than a thousand of them in big cities and small towns around the country. The pandemic has battered these amateur bands, but as WBGO's John Kalish reports, they're getting back to performing, especially after Labor Day. The Metropolitan Atlanta Community Band is predominantly African-American. It opens every performance with Freedom Fanfare, which incorporates a number of melodies, including the Battle Hymn of the Republic and Lift Every Voice and Sing. The band is gearing up for a concert in November, its first in more than two and a half years. Alan Ward is the band's associate director. When I first joined the band, I noticed a genuine love for each other. They just like to hang out with each other. And that culture is established. Many of them went to school together before they joined the community band, somewhere in the same church. 
Some were in the same neighborhood. Some just showed up. The pandemic has not only halted many of the community band's indoor concerts, but also taken away their rehearsal spaces. The Allentown Band in Pennsylvania recorded the youth concerts it usually performs in a local symphony hall and posted them online. Another challenge was getting band members to practice on their own, says Chuck Van Buren, conductor of the Parenton Concert Band near Rochester, New York. The physical skills needed to play an instrument develop slowly but deteriorate rapidly. Uh, Not having a goal, such as being prepared for rehearsal or looking forward to a concert, made it difficult for them to keep up a practice regimen. And frankly, some of our older members began to wonder if this was going to be the end of their playing career. Would they, would they ever get back when they finally resume? Would they be too old? Would they lose interest? Older band members have tended to be more cautious about returning to the bandstand. But for these elderly musicians, community bands have been a lifeline, says Diane Hawkins-Cox, CEO of the Metropolitan Atlanta Community Band. You know, making music helps older people keep sharp. And it's important for older people to maintain connections with other people. And I think the band and community bands in general are an important outlet for that. There are several community bands playing today that started in the 19th century. The Allentown Band began in 1828. When I first joined the band, the majority of our concerts were Sunday school picnics. Today, we're now playing Carnegie Hall, we're playing Kennedy Center, we did three or four European tours. Trombone player Ezra Wenner joined the Allentown Band 80 years ago after being recruited by his high school band director. Wenner is now 95 and still playing. It gives you a good feeling that you're playing with a top-notch group. Everyone is serious about their playing. I feel the band is my second family. Community bands are often on the lookout for musicians to round out sections. The turnout for performances has been declining over the years, says Ronald Demke, who served as conductor of the Allentown Band since 1977. We still have pretty good audiences in numbers and so on, and they're certainly enthusiastic. But when I was in the band, it was not uncommon for us to have 1,500 or 2,000 people in the audience. Well, we just don't see that as we did in the past. And I think that may be true around the country, actually. Town Band, a new documentary set in New York's Catskill Mountains, chronicles a community band's commitment to its small town, despite a dwindling membership and audience. Director Alice Elliott has attended the concerts for 40 years. The bandstand sits empty 
for six days, and then all of a sudden, for an hour at night, it becomes this place of entertainment, of community, of intergenerational mixing. It's the idea that music and the arts can create community. And says Elliot, if community bands didn't play tunes from the classic American songbook, we might lose that music. For the WBGO Journal, I'm John Kalish. York Empire won the American Ultimate Disc League, or AUDL, championship in Madison, Wisconsin in late August with an undefeated 15-0 season. My most recent guest on Sports Jam is the league's two-time MVP, who now has 44 goals and 44 assists in the postseason, giving him the most all-time scores in the history of the AUDL playoffs. The New York Empire's Ben Yacht. Well, let's start off, Ben, with the sport of Ultimate Disc. Some say it's like ultimate frisbee, football, lacrosse, all mixed together. But for someone who has never watched the sport, how would you describe it to them? I, I My elevator pitch is usually, it's a cross between like football, basketball, and soccer, all with the frisbee. You can go from playing offense to defense right away, just like basketball. You got to be able to play both sides of the disc um, or both sides of offense and defense and um, like basketball and soccer. And then football, you have to score in an end zone. So it's a a little bit of everything. It's a lot of fun. All the big bodies of the Empire going to the end zone. Babbitt's there. Davis is there. Yacht is there. Time has expired. The Disto in the air. And Ben Yacht's the one who comes down with it. The Empire takes the 12-11 lead as the first half of action comes to an end. Ben Yacht with a kiss for his teammates. In order to have a championship team, there always has to be a player who's willing to either sacrifice glory for you know the ultimate goal of winning the title and in this case you kind of did that with the new york empire this season you were switched to defense after being such a a big score and you still had you know a, a league leader in scoring despite being on the defensive side is that how you looked at it is that you know i'll do anything i can to help this team win yeah, I my goal first and foremost is winning a championship. So anything I can do to help that, to help those ends is something that I was trying to to do with my team. In the past, I've been on offense and been a pretty lethal scorer and assist maker and space maker on offense, but I also um 6-6 and have a decent amount of athleticism, so I was ready to bring that to defense. And one of our defenders, stalwart defenders, also happens to be an incredible offender. So we kind of flip-flopped and I brought a little bit of my offensive acumen uh, and ability to throw the disc deep um, to defense. And he brought his big body and playmaking ability to offense. And it was it was a pretty harmonious match. Taylor 
Throws it deep, not really anybody cutting. Holzmeier trying to turn on the Jets late. Holzmeier denied by Yacht, who gets the clean block this time. The New York Empire defeated the Chicago Union 22-14 in the championship game on August 27th. So what did the championship mean to you personally? This one was a little different. Um, it was really fun being able to win our second championship in three years. Um, I had the good fortune of winning a college championship and a club division championship in the past. And then the Empire won in 2019. And it's kind of funny. It's something I didn't expect that you have to learn how to celebrate winning championships. Because when you achieve a goal that is the culmination of a whole season's worth of work, you kind of think the world's going to stop spinning and you're going to, you know, have this nirvana sort of moment. And, you know, after the first or second one, you're kind of like, okay, this is, I didn't really expect this. And this is my like fifth major championship between a few different divisions. And it was really fun to be able to celebrate with the team and just really soak it all in where, you know, in the past I've been sort of thinking, what's next? What am I going to do after this? Like what else is there? And this one, I really knew what to expect and it, I was able to just enjoy it all. My girlfriend was there. My family was there, you know, surrounded by some of my closest friends on planet earth on the team. It was a really special, special win. We're going to talk about your girlfriend a little bit later in the show because She's special to both of us, and uh, we'll just leave it at that for now. But you won that college championship at the University of Minnesota back in 2016. Did you know at that point that you wanted to play this sport professionally after that? Um, funny that you should ask that. I actually had played it professionally before that. Um, I played with the Minnesota Windchill, the Minnesota um, franchise of the AUDL. And then from there, I went and played at the University of Minnesota. Um, I only played Winchell for, I think, a year, two years, maybe. And um, yeah, so it wasn't quite the same league. It was the Minnesota Winchell were a little less competitive back then. I think they only had a single playoff berth in the two years that I played. Um, so it was, it was a little different for sure. But um, after college, I had made some connections and ended up getting recruited to come play out in New York. And it's been a match made in heaven. I've really enjoyed it. The ownership is phenomenal. The organization is great. And the league is on the up and up, I think, in general. Much like a number of sports, when people hear the, the title of the sport, they don't think it's nearly as physical and demanding until you watch it, until you really see the combination that you're talking about. First of all, your wingspan at 6'6", and your ability to jump, and your ability to move has made you, you know, a superstar in this sport. But you get a sense that, you know, it does take a lot of skills to be able to play this sport. And I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, I, I think it gets the rep of a dog sport. You know, everyone's chasing a disc around like we're throwing to, to dogs. Um, and I, I think the anyone who's thrown a Frisbee knows it's it's fun and sort of mesmerizing to throw. But the the skill cap is extremely high the the players who can throw the best in the league have been throwing for more than a decade and doing it very consistently and conscientiously to make sure that they're improving every last little bit of how they're able to throw and distance and the shape um so yeah it this the skill cap is pretty high um and for instance i tried out for team usa in 
uh, earlier this year. And just in one day of that tryout, I ran like, I think it was 10, 11 miles. Um, and so it's a lot, you know, some jogging, but a lot of sprinting around and it's pretty demanding. So I think on that weekend, I ran close to 25 miles, um, which is, which is a lot. I was pretty dead afterwards, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of running, a lot of strategy with when you're cutting, when you're exerting energy, when you're, you know, making plays, when you're sort of not sandbagging, but when you're taking it a little easier because you know, you were beaten a certain aspect. So you, it's, it's a lot of mental work and a lot of physical work. And I think those two matches make it really a fun sport. There's a couple of different team USA. This one was a mixed gender team and they took the top seven men and the top seven women in the country. And I happened to make it to the second round of tryouts, which was the top, uh, I believe top 14 men and top 14 women, but I didn't end up making the final cut, uh, alternates or the team, but the team ended up winning a national championship. And I like to think I had some feedback with some of the coaches and they said, you know, you were just on the cusp. So, um, if I'm, if I'm close, then that's, that's, you know, pretty nice. Will you try it again? I hope so. It, it happens every four years. So we'll see. Hopefully I'm still, you know, in good shape and in my prime at that point, but we'll see. When was the first time you remember throwing an ultimate disc or Frisbee? It's a really good question. So I, I started playing back in high school with my church group. And I remember one time I really enjoyed playing and me and the youth minister went out to the park just on a whim and started throwing around. And that was the one time I, I first remember truly throwing a Frisbee and I couldn't get my forehands to sit flat. They would always turn over. And uh, like I said, the skill cap for throwing is pretty high and it took me a long time to be able to throw it decently. <laughs> Osgar, a nice fake that could have been D'd up. And now he's got to get rid of it. The clock was up high. He boosted it for Yacht. Yacht will sky for it. That's a big catch by a big man. Osgar knew he had it. It might not have been the prettiest, but he knows he knows he's going to come down with it. He's going to bail him out there. Well, one of the things that's you know so unique uh, about you being a professional athlete is that well, maybe it's not so unique because we hear uh, there are a lot of large families, and but the fact that you have seven brothers, you had to fight probably for everything when it came to your family. So with your six six frame and your skills, no wonder you can wrestle the 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 disc away from people. You had to wrestle away probably food from your brothers, right? Oh yeah. We had, we had our bacon rations and sausage rations and just, you know, taco rations. We had it all rationed. So I definitely figured out how to fight for my own survival back there and in, in Minnesota with all my family, with all my brothers. But yeah, it was, it was good. My, my dad was in the military and really a great competitor back in his day. So he, he inspired a lot of us to have a lot of, you know, competitive nature and a good, you know, sporting spirit. You were homeschooled, and during the pandemic, a lot of kids have been homeschooled. Did you find that an advantage? Then you had to go to college, and then, you know, how difficult was that for you? That's a, that's a good question. So I don't think it was an advantage necessarily, but it wasn't a disadvantage. We, um, we had a lot of time to explore. My, my father was in the military, so we moved around a lot in addition to being homeschooled. So we sort of in the, my parents instilled this um, independent spirit in us and it allowed us to pursue what we wanted. They didn't 
push us to do anything in like a very driving way. They encouraged us to do things that they thought we would enjoy. Me and some of my brothers got to play sports at the local high school when we finally settled down in Minnesota. And that was fun. Um, it helped us, you know, integrate well. And then once I finally found Ultimate, I ended up playing for a local high school team and made some friends there and, and figured it out. I think um, something that I had to learn was there's there's sort of interesting characters, no matter where you are in public school and homeschool and, and anywhere. And there's also like regular kids who, you know, I hope for better or for worse i'm mostly regular these days but uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun and going to college didn't feel like that big of a jump and i now my roommate is one of my best friends we went and played in college together at the university of minnesota we won in 2016 together we were both all americans so many of my closest friends have uh have come from ultimate so i'm really grateful for what the sport has given to me ben yacht has made some great choices in his life and uh he's also doing it on the personal side he has a very, very wonderful girlfriend. And you say, well, how does Doug know that? That's because your girlfriend is Anna Mazarakis, who is a Princeton grad. But more importantly than Princeton, she was an intern and she did reports for WBGO. And uh, she is one of my favorites from all time, of those who have walked through the doors of WBGO. Let's bring Anna into the conversation if we can. Great to see you, Anna. So good to see you again, Doug. Wearing your New York Empire uh, sweatshirt there. How did the two <laughs> of you how did the two of you meet? We met on a dating app on Hinge. <laughs> we've we've tried to come up with a good lie to tell everyone, but Hinge is pretty good. <laughs> I'd never really heard of Ultimate Frisbee before then. I knew it was a thing, but I didn't really know it was a thing. And now I'm the biggest fan. It's my favorite sport. So <laughs> so what was that like seeing your guy once again dominating action and helping his team win the title? Yeah, I mean, he's so such an incredible player, a team player, but also just incredible by himself. So it's really exciting to watch him out there and doing his thing. And your career has been exciting as well, because now you're just about ready to start a new business podcast at Bloomberg. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's launching in December with uh, Bloomberg's head of opinion, Tim O'Brien, and it'll be called Crash Course. And we're really excited about it. So since WBGO, you've had all kinds of uh, different jobs in that. Who's been your favorite boss through the years? Oh, Doug, that's an easy one. <laughs> I really, really loved working at WBGO. You were a great, great mentor, great boss to me and, and really honed my love of audio. And I, I miss working there so much. It was really great experience for me. Eventually gives good answers, doesn't she? <laughs> if she didn't say that, you know, she has to say it for the podcast, right? I don't know if she really feels that way, but she has to say it. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about you, Doug. Ben, how has Anna changed you? Oh, that's a good question. I think growing up in a family of eight boys, um, I've told her this, uh, we had a lot of masculine energy around and, you know, in some ways that's good. And in some ways that sort of hinders some of uh, maybe the more emotional side of, of development. And so Anna has really helped me become a more empathetic person who who's willing to connect with my more emotional side and 
it's also fun just doing life with somebody. Um, I haven't had a, a many relationships before Anna, so it's been really a joy to get to know a person um, in the romantic way and just being able to to share life with such a special woman is, is really special for me. Well, you should have saw how she was looking at you just a moment ago when you were talking. So that says enough. But Anna did mention that, you know, she didn't know much about, of you know, Ultimate Disc before uh, she met you. So what is it about this sport, Ben, that, that can turn somebody just like that? Now, obviously, she had a vested interest in this, but so many people, all they have to do is watch it and you're, you can be hooked. Yeah, I think... In the recent years, I've actually become a fan of the sport, too. Usually, I like playing sports way more than I like watching them. But I think the product that the ADL has is really good. And something I enjoy about it is how fast-paced it is. I think the ADL does a really good job of keeping the pace quickly. They're innovating uh, rules. You know, I'm sure from this year to next year, we're going to have some different rules. So they're tweaking and and making sure that it's the best product they can get out there. But um, it's fast paced. It's fun. It's mesmerizing. Like I said earlier, watching a Frisbee just fly. And there's so many different aspects that you can beat another team in. Um, in addition to that, it's a well-balanced game. There's nobody who's like overpowered strategically yet, but we're still in the burgeoning aspects of the sport in many ways. So it's fun to see some of the strategies coming around. So we'll see, we'll see how, things continue to evolve but i think there's um there's a lot of good elements for development on the horizon for the sport of ultimate you can see my entire sports jam interview with ben yacht and his girlfriend anna mazarakis on the wbgo facebook page thanks for listening to the wbgo journal i'm doug doyle if you enjoy listening to this program we'd certainly love to hear from you right now with a pledge of support for the news programming you hear on the greatest jazz station in the world, WBGO, you can call us at 800-499-9246 or make a pledge of support from anywhere in the world at WBGO.org. In the meantime, stay tuned to WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org.